I'm Evelyn and I'm a geoholic. All right, welcome back to Yaholics. Dealer's choice tonight with the music. Oh yeah, so I, I love went it. with that one. Producer Sean's going to tell us a little bit about here in just a minute. Um, yeah, welcome back, episode one forty nine. We're almost we're one episode away from another milestone. Can you believe that? Uh, one forty nine is is big. I mean, I can't wait. Obviously, I'm excited about this week. We got a great great panel going on, but man. We are so close to 150. I like the big even numbers. Right on the precipice, as they say. Yeah. All right. Uh, really excited to have this uh, panel with us this evening to talk about something that has stirred a little bit of interest on LinkedIn. We'll get to that here in just a minute. But uh, real quick, Geohawks are going to be at Trimble Dimensions here in less than two weeks, if you can believe that. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Two weeks from, well, we will be there two weeks from tonight. We absolutely will. And it's going to be a who's who of the geospatial world. It seems like everybody I know that is that I consider like an influencer in the geospatial world is going to be at Triple Dimensions. Um, yeah. Elaine Ball, I've never met her, had tons of contact with her over the last five years. So I'm really excited to meet her. Peter Cox, of course, who's with us this evening. The one um, and only. Look forward to meeting her in person as well. As well as Finally. a number of others, it's uh, it's it's going to be awesome. I I can't even imagine what's going to come out of the week that we're going to be there. It's going to be incredible. Um, friend of the program reminder: we are going to be it's, it's, it's renewal time since we're on the calendar renewal. <coughs> Our friends of the program are um, up for renewal here the first of next year. Uh, of course, we give our current friends of the program first shot at renewing those opportunities, and if there are some openings after that we will open that up to the general public the general population as they say so that will be happening here in the very near future and one thing i want to talk about before we get on with the show is we don't do it any anymore we used to do like a um like a safety share excuse me every episode Mm, yeah and we haven't done one in a while and i just want to say i just want to remind people freaking be safe out there because I have seen here, just here in Arizona over the last month, two guys like fell off um, a tilt panel, fell like 60 feet. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I heard about that. There was a guy in a trench that got trapped. I mean, thank God he survived. And I just saw, was it yesterday? Right by our office, actually, a water truck on the Broadway Curve Project rolled down the side of an embankment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I heard about that. So. Yeah, I mean, and obviously, you know, knock on wood, thank God it didn't involve any surveyors, but it's a really good reminder that um, whatever, whenever you're on the field, just do whatever you can to create awareness. Uh, you know, let people know, that, make people as aware as possible that you are out there surveying. And of course, as a surveyor, be aware, head on a swivel, all that good stuff. Just a reminder more than anything else. And not only that, uh, personal story, I was out at a job site abandoned or not abandoned closed landfill mm-hmm. yep. uh ran into a very frisky rattlesnake oh and uh that is definitely an activity that even when there's no construction going on yep. that's even more that's when the the, the those friends like to hang yeah. out and you know build their home he For made sure. it very vocal that we were in his house yep. and uh had i not been with somebody else who pointed it out to me who knows what I would have done or what would have happened, and it was very remote. So all those things we need to keep in mind. Like shitting your pants. I'm not going – I didn't directly sh- – maybe shart is the better word. Is Snakes are – like there's not much I'm afraid of, but snakes are in the category of Kent is scared 
a, a shit of rattlesnakes. There's no doubt about well, it. Well, we found, we saw him. I, we got in there. I took a good picture, and they were kind of messing around. And then he started to make it clear that we were, we had extended our welcome in his house, and we left. So, oh man, yeah. good story. Another good reminder, no doubt. Uh, and, and oh yeah, and you think it's getting colder? Yep. This was in higher elevation. Didn't matter. Yep. Very much They're there. Active. They are active. So. Be careful. Be safe. Yep. 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 So, yeah, uh, yeah. Go ahead. if I can pop in on a, you know, a, a preemptive, uh, controversial conversation, um, <laughs> I do want to say that I pass a lot of uh, surveyors working in the road, not wearing PPE because they're just going to pop out there, you know, no hard hat, no vest, yep. uh, things like that. Um, because surveyors are sometimes on the construction side and sometimes off, they don't have that constant reminder of, hey, wear your PPE, wear your PPE. Mm-hmm. Um, even on construction sites, often they'll be like, oh, I, 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 I survive under the myth of that I need to take my hard hat off to ever look through a total station, even if I'm operating a robot. Yeah. Uh, so just that, that reminder, PPE is to protect you personally, uh, not to hold you back, and it really does keep us safe. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Brandon. I appreciate that. Um, our cast this evening is myself and, of course, producer Sean. Hello, hello. Uh, what's new, Sean? Oh, man. Halloween's coming up. You know, I got a kid. We're all excited about that, trick-or-treating and all that. Um, just got back from, I think we talked about getting back from Asheville, North Carolina. That was fun. Yeah. And uh, really just kind of gearing up. I mean, the, the year feels like it's wrapping up quick. Yeah. And we just did the schedule for the show for the rest of the year and making plans for Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. And man, I mean, it's going to be the end of the year before you realize it. So much going on right now. It's It's a crazy time of year. Blink and it's going to be 2023. Yes. Let's face it. Uh, Tell us about that opening number. Uh, That was Buck Cherry, a song called Lit Up. Oh, man, for those who don't know, Buck Cherry is an American rock band from Anaheim, California. Arriving in the late 90s during the dying days of the post-grunge and the rise of agro-new metal. Not sure what that Whatever is. Whatever that is. Buck Cherry proudly kept the torch of hard rock sleaze burning. The band styled themselves as deliberate throwbacks to the glory days of the 80s. Sunset Strip acting as if their peers were Motley Crue instead of Limp Biscuit. Thank you. The band pl- released two albums, Buck Cherry and Time Bomb, before dissolving in 20, 2002. In 2005, lead vocalist Josh Todd and lead guitarist Keith Nelson reformed Buck Cherry with a new lineup and released a new album in 2006 titled 15. Not sure about that one, but it contained Buck Cherry's highest crossover hits to date in their first Billboard Hot 100 Top 10 hit, Sorry. Their ninth and most recent album, Hellbound, was, was released on June 25th, 2021. There you go. I did not know they were still releasing albums, so that's cool stuff. They're they're making a comeback. Yeah, as I see they that. say. Yeah, as they say. I've had the opportunity to see them live, and to be honest with you, probably one of the top ten, one of my top ten favorite live shows ever. I am dying to know what that top ten list looks Josh like. Josh Todd, their their the lead vocalist, is probably one of the best frontmen you'll ever see live. It's incredible. I don't, I don't doubt you at all. Only However, I do com- want to see this top 10 list because I have heard you say that about seven times now. So you're running so out still of threes to be in the top 10 list. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Great show, though. Great show. All right. We're in the Diamondback Lancer Bank studio, of course. Um, Trent, this guy, I'm telling you, he is so busy right now. He's got so much going on leading up into Dimensions. Plus, it's being held right in his backyard. Oh, yeah. Um, he's going to be a great 
phenomenal host. I'm sure I, somehow he's going to be like in three places at one time. He will at be. the show. Like yeah. he's going to clone himself and be everywhere. No doubt about it. He'll. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I think on Thursday, actually, there's a uh, there's like a local you know, Nevada land surveyors chapter meeting that a bunch of people are going to, uh, Trent's taking a group. I think Peta might be part of this group on a survey yep. tour of Las Vegas oh. on Thursday. Um, so he's gonna be a busy guy and I'm not sure if this is a glimpse into something in the future, but I've noticed lately that on Trent's social media, he's using the hashtag, not get kids into survey, but hashtag get people into survey. Oh, okay. All right. I don't know what all that's right. all about. I think we're going to learn more, though. It's very interesting. I have a feeling. I think there's going to be something more to this. Okay. Stay tuned, right? Yeah. I think I know something about mm-hmm. it. Uh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. All right. Producer Sean. The Degenerate Lock of the Week. Do you, you won last week, first of all. <laughs> hey, I am off the losing streak. Of course, I didn't bet the, on the your lock. The Lock of the Week has turned into an actual lock. The Bears not only covered that spread, they whooped those dang uh, Patriots. They did. They Man, did. I was so excited. Mainly because I'd been on such a losing streak of picking. Uh, so I got a gr- bask in a little, a little glory here. Uh, finally, finally getting on the streak. So uh, let's keep that going. Monday night games, I love them. Uh, this week it is the Bengals at the Browns. The Bengals are are giving up three, no, two and a half is That's what it? I saw it at. Now I just saw it move up to three. So the where I do my picks is two and a half. Man, either two and a half or three. I mean, I know it. it, it I'm I'm telling you guys, Vegas makes their odds based on the reaction of guys like Kent and I. And if Kent says, oh, that's it, it's probably too low. But I just think that Bengals are fine on all cylinders. I agree. It, I know it's on the road, but it's in the same state. The, the, the Browns are, you know, they can come out a little bit, but I think the Bengals are going to win by at least three points. Lock of the week, take the Bengals, give up the points. Full disclosure, I just put 20 bucks on it. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. It better be a good one. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on a streak. You are. You are. Of one. Streak's got to start somewhere. I, I can't yeah, yeah. believe that you're trusting him. <laughs> oh, man. Wait till we're in Vegas. Holy Jesus. I uh, know. Oh, my gosh. All right. Uh, time for Liquid Death's job of the week. We just met our Liquid Death uh, representative right before the show, as a matter oh, of fact. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hooked us up. Five. Fresh cases of liquid death water. Yeah, got some lime flavor. And what's the other flavor? Uh, there's lime, there's berry, there's ooh, mango chainsaw mango. is the new flavor. I yeah. can't wait. If you have not tried liquid death water, oh my gosh, you are missing out. There's something about drinking ice cold water out of a can that is, it's, I mean, I, for me, I guess, again, I've said it before, it's like drinking an ice cold beer out of a can, but it's water, so it's better for you. It, it, so. It's cool and it tastes good, so... How can you go wrong? Exactly, 100%. Do, do you know that it's that controversial over there that people are trying to actually, like, shut it down? He was talking about that a little bit. <laughs> what? Like, people on social media. Yes. I remember he brought that up. Like, there's, like, all these negative social media posts about liquid death and stuff like that. Which, I mean, Is whatever. it just because of the name? Yeah, or? I think so, yeah. yeah I it's think the so, name. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, well, piss yeah. off. Piss off. There you go. <laughs> all right. So, anyways, our, uh, our liquid death job of the week this week is from my good friend, Nolan Mark. He is the owner of On the Mark Land Surveying. He is located in- What a B- great name, by the way. Really good. Great guy. Yep. Great guy. Oh, you know what? He's going to be at Trimble Dimensions. Of course yeah. he is. We are going to meet him there for the <laughs> first time. I cannot wait. Uh, he is located in the beautiful Fort Wayne, Indiana. He is looking for an experienced- 
field crew chief. Uh, here's a, just a little bit about the job description. He's looking for somebody who can complete field work for a variety of survey projects, including topographic surveys, Alta NSPS land title surveys, and boundary surveys. He is also looking for somebody who can manage field activities in a professional and efficient manner. He is looking for somebody who can review and follow project scopes. Hard to find that person these days. Keep field notes. Even harder to find that person project information, and field data well organized. Um, he is also looking for this person to act as a field liaison with client representatives and project managers. So in addition to competitive pay, benefits, etc., Nolan, and I know this, puts people first. Uh, his focus is on team building. Uh, they have tons of company outings I've seen. They have a big Christmas party out of state every year that they, that they take care of. And He's just tremendous, a lot like Trent. I think he's following Trent's model with mm. community involvement. He's doing a great job there. And I did notice, I went to their website today, and I love this quote. It says, serving with honesty, with forthrightness, and within our area of skill. Ah, That's good stuff Ooh. right there. Um, but again, I can't wait to meet him at Trimble Dimensions for the first time. If you're interested in this uh, survey party chief, crew chief uh, opportunity, you can send... Nolan, a email at info at otmlandsurveying.com and be sure to tell him that the geoholic sent you. I think, these, I think these weekly job postings are getting some traction. You think so? Yes, because this is the second person that reached out to me like, how much does it cost to get a job posting on your weekly show? <laughs> I'm like, nothing this year. Wait till next year, buddy. It's going to cost you then. Seems like a missed opportunity for sure. Oh man, I think we're onto something. We, again, we just fell into it. And it's like, People falling into surveying. Before we get to our guests this evening, here is this week's Bad Elf Minute. Hello, Geoholics, and welcome to Bad Elf's Point of Beginning, a segment specially crafted for the consumption of geospatial news, history, and technology. We hope you enjoy the content and perhaps even learn something. My name is Dr. Nick Smolovsky, I'm a Geoholic, and I'm here to be your geospatial guide. Amazing ants, geoholics! Researchers now claim to have an answer to the question, how many ants live on Earth? Prior to this comprehensive study, scientists had no idea how many of these small-statured insects actually lived on our planet. To calculate the total population, the researchers analyzed over 12,000 individual reports on biodiversity that happened to sample ants. From those records, 489 studies were found and selected because of their rigorous scientific standards. Using the data collected, the team took the first bottom-up approach to estimate the population of ants. This methodology relied on real counts of ants collected around the world. Publishing their findings and the proceedings of National Academy of Sciences, the team estimated 20 quadrillion ants live on Earth. Yes, you heard me, 20 quadrillion ants live on Earth. That's 12 megatons of biomass, a weight heavier than all of the wild birds and mammals combined. While ants may be small in size, their characteristics are that of ecosystem engineers. Their impact is huge. Ants have the immensely important job of distributing and recycling organic material. Quite frankly, there's a lot we can learn from ants as we design human ecosystems to the future. Cheers to you, research team, for counting all those ants. If you have any questions or comments about today's POB segment, please reach out to me via LinkedIn or through the Geoholics channels. And that does it for us at B2 Studios in sunny Texas. Live long and prosper, my friends.
All right. So we have a panel of guests this evening to talk about a topic that is uh, is kind of a hot button these days. So this is going to be great. But what I want to do real quick is let them each do like 30 second self introduction. Just name uh, company you work for, you know, what your role is and maybe how long you've been in the business. So ladies for, first, of course, we're going to start out with uh, PETA. Thank you. So Peter Cox from Sydney, Australia, National Training and Development Manager for Consulting Surveyors National. Uh, I run the Surveyors Academy, which trains technical surveyors within our industry and uh, been in the industry for just over 26 years. Hmm. All right. Welcome, Peter. Thanks for being here. Familiar voice, of course. Next, we'll yes, go to uh, Ray. I'm Ray Lillibridge. We're for OHM Advisors. Uh, we're based out of Metro Detroit, but all over the Midwest. Uh, technically, I'm a survey technical leader, I guess it would be, and uh, been in this since 99. So what, 23, 24 years, that's getting there. Wow. You don't look that old, Ray. <laughs> I, I disagree. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's awesome. Oh, man. That's awesome. Let's move on. Mike. <laughs> hey, yeah, I'm Mike Magyar. I'm a land surveyor in Astoria, Oregon. And I've been surveying since 1992, and uh, I got a, a wife and a, a little kid, and uh, I'm a planning commissioner for the county, oh, wow. and uh, I volunteer a lot, and it's a lot of fun. Interesting. How much surveying are you doing these days? A lot. A lot I'm of probably survey booked still. out for months and months. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah, it's impossible to keep up. Oh, yeah. Mm. No doubt about it. Uh, Brandon. Uh, my name's Brandon Montero. I work for uh, Elevate Construction. Um, is a consulting company that focuses on um, professional and technical development, um, oftentimes in the, the superintendent, uh, superintendent field engineering scope. Um, I have, uh, you know, in that scope done a lot of like technical development, um, which involves a best practice in the surveying world um, from a, a technical skills standpoint. Um, I also teach uh, construction surveying uh, at ASU, and I've been uh, in the industry for 23, 24 years and have just moved over to the consulting side um, in the last couple of years here. Good for you, Brandon. And uh, Peter, don't take offense to this. Brandon has the sexiest voice on the panel. Oh, I'm just saying. Just saying. I've lost it. That's a personal opinion. Uh, that's news to me. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, thanks everybody for being here. We typically do a uh, Trimble icebreaker right now, which we're going to do. Uh, real quick, PETA, what was your first car? Oh, first car. Um, I had a little Suzuki Swift, two-seater. Did you name it? Had no name, that one. No name? All my cars now have names. I've got they do. Lexi, what are... I've got Vicky, I've got Charlie, I've got Frank. <laughs> Those are interesting <laughs> names. All right, Ray, how about you? What was your first car? Uh, first car, parents hand me down, uh, 86 Grand Marquis, uh, the old school, big three boat car, Love uh, it. drove like a marshmallow. Uh, my mom called it Betsy, so it was the stuff, mm. Betsy. Betsy, nice. Betsy. All right. How about you, Mike? I had an 82 Honda Civic four-door. Mm. It was a tin can, but it uh, it burned through snow. It was an amazing <laughs> snow car, and uh, its nickname was Mittens. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> oh, man, Brandon, that's a lot to live up to. How about you? Uh, yeah, I, uh, there's no top in that. Is there a mittens uh, in your I, uh, your past? I also had a, a parent's hand-me-down. Um, my dad had a 94 uh, Mitsubishi Montero 
because it had our last name. He thought it was the coolest thing ever. Uh, that was my hand-me-down. The best part about it awesome. um, was that he had a, um, gotten a car phone for a company that he worked for. So there was this defunct phone with the, like, you know, the little, uh, you know, cordy cable. Chunky was stuck in it. Yeah. Oh, awesome. For all my life while I owned it. With the buttons on the back of it? Amazing stuff. Oh, I love it. How about you, producer Sean? Uh, well, similar to Mike, I had an 87 Honda Accord. Oh. Uh, it was my sister's. Uh, she's five years older than me, so yeah. uh, it got handed to me, and then unfortunately I wrecked it. But uh, her son, my nephew, just turned 15, uh, got his learner's permit, or is about to turn 16, got his learner's permit, and also she found him a honda accord for his first car wow. so it is a generational thing in the faber family to have a honda accord as your first car you can't go wrong with a honda i mean it's what a, yeah, the front really wheel drive you know the little thing yeah. it can get anywhere yeah. it was one of those hatchbacks which is that's the coolest part is uh, easy access easy access i had like those big speakers i put back there on the hatchback <laughs> oh i was the coolest guy oh yeah. that's great that's awesome uh, what about you kent <laughs> Ooh, uh, uh, a 65. No, no I'm sorry, I, I, I am going to show my age a little bit, of course, but um, 1974 Dodge Charger. Was oh, my first man. Car. I remember oh, I paid like everybody wants that car now. $400. <laughs> my dad and I paid for it. It wasn't running. It was rusted out. Not totally rusted out, but rusted in the quarter panels. Of course, it was in Chicago. So it's like me and my dad, you know, we bondoed the shit out of it. Uh, I put a $99 Earl Scheib red paint job on it. It had a white vinyl top with a crank sunroof. In, oh, in high man. school, dude. It, it was the shit. I, I put Krager wheels on it and like a stereo with an equalizer, and it was the Red Rocket. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Oh, man. Of course. I'm sure course. you did some things in the Red Rocket. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's say really quickly that I, yeah. I have actually worked for Kent uh, in the past. And uh, when he first showed up, I want to tell you that he had the confidence of a man that owned the Red Rocket. Back <laughs> the that, that story checks out completely. Oh, oh that's great. I appreciate the vote of uh, confidence. There, that's awesome. <laughs> All right, let's move on with this. Uh, a lot to get to. Okay, so a, a number of these things we've talked to you know, a handful of times in the past on this, uh, on the podcast. So I hate to keep beating a dead horse, but it's a couple of the things I want to lay the groundwork for this discussion with is we all know that there is a, a, a decline in the number of surveyors, not just in the United States over the course of the last three years, we've talked to surveyors from all, all over the world, all over the world. And everybody says the same thing, declining number of surveyors, uh, declining number of people entering the land survey profession worldwide. There's a lot of movements taking place. You know, PETA's got a really good thing going there in Australia that she's trying to build. Brandon obviously has got something going that he's working to build. There are a lot of different, you know, efforts and movements taking place to help resolve some of these issues. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, but there's there's a lot of challenges that we're facing as a profession. Um, and, and until I hear otherwise, until I see some statistics that show me that these numbers aren't correct, we have a, a serious issue. I saw a graphic, gosh, a couple, three weeks ago um, in, in Oregon, as a matter of fact, at the rate of the decline of the number oh, of Oh, yeah, I remember seeing this. Yeah, 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 I showed yeah. that to you. Um, in the next 10 years, obviously, this isn't going to happen. It's not going to happen. But in the next 10 years, there's like zero surveyors in the state of Oregon, right? 
Yes. Not going to happen. We know that. But still, if you look at the numbers, at the, the way will, they're going, there will it's be bad. less next year than there were this year. So at that rate, <laughs> yeah, yeah, something's got to give. Exactly, exactly. So we have a lot of challenges. You know, one of the challenges is, first of all, what are we doing to get people interested in the profession and the the people that are interested in the profession? How, what are we doing to elevate them? You know, I mean, what are we doing to educate them? And I know that the four people on the panel this evening have a, um, all have different perspectives on what we're doing to, to, to help this situation. And so Pete, I'm let you go first. What, what are you seeing? And you know, what, what are the, what are the challenges that, that are, we're being presented with right now? Oh, it's, where do you start? Um, Biggest challenges, people don't know what surveying is. How do you get the kids into surveying if they don't know what it is? Um, how do you educate them in a way that you have mentoring programs happening within the industry because that's been lost with one man field parties, robotics, all that kind of stuff. Um, how they get through from starting in the industry through to do do they want to be licensed, registered? It's a massive process. How do you get them through? Um, there's lots lots to cover um, and, yeah. and I know that some things are similar in Australia to the US, some things are really, really different, um, you know, and I think the biggest thing that we've got when we talk about not having the people is finding the right people and supporting them through their journey. No matter what journey they choose to go, whether they do want to end up as a licensed registered surveyor or whether they want to be a technician, but it's supporting them, the company is supporting them, get changing the mindsets of companies as well getting into the schools, finding the right people. You don't have to be really good at maths. You need all, you want to enjoy the outdoors. You want to be good at geography. You, there's all different types of areas that are going to suit our industry, not just the mathematics, which is what they always pushed. So in, in Australia, to go to university, you need a really, really high mark to get into surveying. So you lose people there. They'll go and do, I don't know, not medicine, but, you know, some something something else that's going to give you a lot of money when you get to that stage of university. So yep. we're losing people before we can even get them into the system. Mm, interesting. How about you, Ray? What, what uh, based on this preliminary information that we've presented, what are your thoughts? I think the writing's on the wall. Uh, you can easily see. I just like you said, looking at the numbers, dwindling surveyors. Uh, what I'm 42. I'm still one of the young guys. You, are you kidding me? Come yep. on. Yep. Uh, but as Peter said, it's it's really the same same thing here that I've seen in the Midwest is people, you know, they have to go get a four year four year degree to become a quote unquote licensed surveyor, right? To be able to survey. They hear engineering. Yep. They want to be an engineer. They don't care if it's civil, mechanical, whatever it happens to be, engineer. I want to be an engineer if I go to college. Mm. Well, there are other avenues. And that's that's really what I think. I mean, my degree is in mm. ecology. But hey, I became a surveyor. Yep. Yeah, architecture for me. And I, you touched on something there that I think is really important, and that is the lack of consistency as it pertains to the requirements to become a licensed surveyor. You know, in some states like Arizona, for example, there's no post-secondary education requirement. You know, an individual can become a licensed surveyor in the state of Arizona based on experience alone. Of course, post-secondary education does speed up the process for you, but it's not necessarily required. Um, you know, there, there's there's other avenues to becoming um, 
a, a surveyor. You know, there's the apprenticeship idea in addition to the formal education and experience, of course, and there's a combination of all three. Um, Mike, what, what's your perspective on this? Uh, whenever I travel internationally, one of the first things I do when I get a chance uh, is to look up surveyors in phone books <laughs> and try to find one. And it seems that it's become more of a challenge to actually find the office where there's a person in it. It seems like they're closed. They're not, you know, and I'm like, this is crazy. Um, so it's a real limited uh, experience for me in terms of international. But I mean, the proof is in the pudding. It's It's been something I've been doing on and off for several decades. And it's it's harder and harder to, to actually find somebody. Uh, so... I don't know. They're not. They're not there anymore. Um, as far as Oregon goes, I don't know whether Oregon is is doing better or worse than anybody else uh, as far as surveyors go. I live in a very rural part of the country, and we have a very small market, and we have very specialized individuals. So we don't really step on each other's toes because there's enough work that. You know, I don't like doing forest surveying, for example, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but the guy who does is kind of keeps to himself and he's got a small crew and that's what he likes to do. There is no way that guy's going to teach anybody how to be a forest surveyor. So when he retires mm -hmm. in a couple of years, that skill set's going to go away, Yeah. right? In, in, a, in, in Oregon, Yeah. right? Because no one else wants to do it. And so I could go down the list of all the different guys and, and what it is that they like to do and... I can tell you that people are, are are pulling in and circling the wagons and they're like, I'm only going to do those things that I like to do. And most of the people in my community are sole proprietors or maybe they've got another person. So hmm. they're heading toward retirement and they're just going to go down with the ship. Wow. And I've seen it happen um, over and over and over again. It's a, it's, it's, is it a tragedy? I don't know. Um, but is it what it looks like from where I sit? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All the old timers, all the guys with experience, um, they have not left a legacy at all. Period. Such a shame. Such a shame. Yeah, it really is. And uh, Mike, I mean, you kind of have your finger on the pulse here in Arizona. And, and we're basically in the same boat. I mean, I'm 55 and I look around when I go to meetings and stuff like that. And I still am kind of the young guy in the room in a lot of cases. It's starting to change oh, for sure. a little bit. It's starting it, to change a little bit. It's cute that you feel that. But, but yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> I feel that. Hey, and I'm 55. It's, it's my perception. It's yeah. my perception. Seriously, I feel like I'm just a kid, you know, and there's all these old fuckers Seriously, right? Yeah, that's true. Do, you know? My point is that I, I look around and like, you know the same people that I know here, Mike. You know, there's a dozen guys or girls for that matter that are going to be retiring here in the next five years, if not more than that, that are like, yeah. have been, you know, the, the survey icons in, in Arizona for a really long time. And it's, it's a pretty scary situation. Uh, Brandon, what's your uh, opening statement? Um, my, you know, my statement would be from a cross section of uh, students taking ASU or uh, at ASU, right. Uh, maybe tied up with Florida for the biggest university in the United States. Um, I've got 
80 students right now. Um, there's one that's moving on to be a surveyor. Wow. Um, out of the previous, you know, all of the previous semesters, I've had two other students um, that are heading in the direction of surveying. So, you know, most of them are, are looking at, uh, you know, they're in the like construction management uh, path. Uh, and they're thinking, okay, what makes, you know, big money is superintendent is these other positions because they don't feel that that's something that they can earn uh, in the survey industry yeah. and uh, probably right. Uh, you know, if it's if, without uh, getting that licensing or being the department manager, et cetera. Um, so definitely a, a quandary there when yeah. that's what they're looking at, you know, when they're looking down the road to their future, they're looking for easy money um, that they can work towards versus licensing. Yeah, it's it's a skewed picture for the students for sure. Do, do you think, sorry, Sean, I'm just, do, do you think that when you talk about that and you talk about the money, we have a generation of, I want it and I want it now. And I don't yeah, want to work for it. Definitely. You know, we actually had a pretty good, uh, you know, heart to heart with the students because we try to, you know, help them as far as like what they're thinking from a career aspect um, and talking, giving, delivering a little bit of a warning about, you know, uh, beware of where you go for the quick dollar versus what is actually going to benefit you or like shuttle you as a, as a real career. Because you know, the the benefits of a career and establishing yourself will in the future outweigh the like, well, these guys will pay me, you know, two dollars more an hour. Um, but do they have a good mentoring program? You know, mm -hmm. what what is their view, what is their plan for you in the future? Um, do you know who will be mentoring you? Like there's so many good questions that that come into play that override the like the 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 flash and wow of uh, some immediate earnings for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got. I wanted to add a couple of things. One is, uh, uh, Brandon, is there? Can I get the contact information for that one survey student? Just you know, <laughs> just yeah. throwing that out there. Uh, you may have an opening. Um, uh, but the other, thing, I've been thinking about this for a while uh, because this is a very common topic. We talk about it all the time, and you know, yeah. from someone outside of uh, with an outside perspective. Um, one quick thing, when I talk to, I hire a lot of interns and I talk to all of them, construction management, civils, all, 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 all of them. And the one thing I do tell them is it's kind of counter to what you guys just said, but I tell these kids, if you want to make money faster, go into survey. You can, you can get there as if money is your only thing, you can get to a higher wage faster and survey than going the traditional civil EIT going that path. Just throwing that out there. But the other thing that I've really been thinking about is what does what is going to happen when the we hit that Mendoza line where mm -hmm. we absolutely just don't have enough surveyors and what what is gonna give? And I keep thinking that the industry that hires us will have to start understanding that the pool is not there and they have to get their projects built and done and they will have to do something on their own. If that means large contractors doing more themselves, establishing yeah. their own survey department, yep. taking it seriously. I mean, something's got to give here. All the technology in the world won't replace a surveyor. We definitely know that. But if they just don't exist and they need to build, build the building, they will find a way to do it. And there might be an opportunity there, but it's going to be really rocky to get there. But the answer is not just zero mm -hmm. surveyors because somebody will figure it out. The Kiewits and Sunts and all those guys will create survey departments and start making surveyors themselves. I think that's happening. 
and I, and that's what I wanted to bring up and and kind of how you know these conversations yeah. usually go one way, but how do we capitalize mm-hmm. on that or team? And I mean, we we need to be realistic with eventually the industry is going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Um, Can I you, just jump yeah, go in there? Yeah, I just had sure. a meeting the other day with one of the large survey firms across Australia who I met with who are trying to bring in training programs and how I can fit in the Surveyors Academy so that they can bring in new people and they want to say, we can give you a job and we can train you and this is how it's going to be. And yeah, they're now looking at that of they're going to have to support them through. Yeah, and, and and build the build their team that way. Right, and these guys, and these companies happen. want need to hire superintendents and all these other people, but they also are going to have to start hiring their own surveyors. Yep, That's yep. what it seems to me. I'll, I'll add to that. You yep. know, the company that I was working for before um, doing boot camps and technical training was specifically for a position called a field engineer. Yep. Um, and a field engineer is, uh, in many ways, a surveyor, right? Along with coordination with all of the trades, but typically that person is attempting to learn, you know, survey best practices and skills for layout. One of the reasons that I, I think that that is happening is, you know, you may have heard the, like the adage, like, well, the surveyor doesn't go inside the building. So the field engineer needs to know how to lay out the building and the building grid lines. He's going to help take the building, the building vertical because oftentimes surveyors aren't going inside the building because they're using uh, robotic total stations and GPS because it's fast and they're not doing like the fine, you know, the fine tuned building layout practices. And so someone else is already being created at, with these general contracting companies mm-hmm. to do surveying tasks inside the building. And then they're like, well, why don't you do these other tasks? You're so good at it. Um, so I do feel like there is a, a little bit of a chipping away at you know the profession from the field engineering group um, but we've created that uh, you know by not going inside the building and you know with in the case of many surveyors. And wow. let's plug this right now. those folks that Brandon is describing, are not licensed surveyors, nor do they have to be. Mm, yeah. Right? No. Yeah. And they're not on a path to be, right? In many no. ca- in most cases, I would say, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> but they, they fill a very specific role and a very, very um, you know, a, a service or an expertise that is in such high demand right now. It's crazy. And they're oftentimes doing more precise work yes. than the mm. persons that the licensed surveyor is sending to the project site Correct. because they're using uh, older equipment, you know, different types of equipment and best practices that are not GPS yep. and robot. Yep, for sure. So uh, we have we have probably more technical surveyors, but some graduate surveyors who focus on construction and their companies focus on construction or they have a section that is construction, a section that is the the land cadastral surveying, the scanning, the hydrographic, whatever it may be. So we have our surveyors who are construction surveyors and engineering surveyors and things like that. And what's really sad about that is that they make more money than the cadastral surveyors. (laughs) And the cadastral surveyors are the one who are going through the universities, doing all of the exams, and are looking after our cadaster and people's properties and boundaries, yet they get paid less than what the cadastral surveyors, uh, the, the construction surveyors do. Mm, interesting. Hey, Bill, what do you have to say? Wow. It's Bill. Did I say Bill? Yeah. 
I'd like to say something about right. that too. And <laughs> I think that the, the construction surveyors, I can be Bill. Can I be Bill? You go, be Bill. go for it, Bill. Bill. You are Bill, Bill right now. Bill, Bill Mittens. Yeah. That's awesome. Bill Mitten's coming at you. So <laughs> I I think there that, that somebody made a really great point here. Who was the last person that was speaking? Was that, that uh, was that Peta? Uh yeah. yeah. So great. In in my view, I can make all kinds of money doing construction work, right? And I'm good at it, right? I came up yep. through the Phoenix land development juggernaut, man. I mean, if anybody knows how to throw and go, that's me. I can do it. I've never forgotten it. I still got the back. I still got the forearms. It's all good. It's a ton of money. Um, I just call my shots and I, I know where all the bodies are buried. When I start getting into that area, which is, and, and I'm going to say, I don't think construction is survey. I mean, it's a, we have tools. I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's not. Where there is surveying, and I'm not going to get into this because it's, I'll, I'll talk forever on it, but that area that Peta was talking about, cadastral, we don't use that term around here, but it's a great term and I know what it means. When you are a steward, and, and where I see it mostly is in these small markets, and, and it's not so much in the big cities because I've, I've, I've done those markets too, but where the real people are, and I'm going to say real surveyors, and I know someone's probably going to get irritated when I say this, but those people whose job it is to toil for no money, right? That's the real surveyor because you're not getting any money from mom and pop. You're not getting any money from grandma and grandpa. You're not getting any money from their nephews. Okay. Everything has got to be done cheap and it is hard work and it is boots on the ground and it is coaxing people and helping them through their vision for what they want to do with their land and their property. And, and you're, you're really kind of helping them raise a child, which is their land, right? It's raw. How do we get it to a point where they can make money, right? Because in mm. my community, people with land, that's that's their assets. That's what gets handed down through generations. There's not a lot of rich people around here in terms of like money. Although if you saw their, their freaking fishing boats, you might be like, wait a minute, man, <laughs> you're onto something. So I think that all of those soft skills of like surveying where what nobody really knows about and, and and you can go to school and you can sit and talk about it at APLS or any of the other things but unless you're really diving into the cadastral and the and the and the boundary stuff you don't really know what I'm talking about there's no money to be made there there just isn't you can, and and I know because I see the guys who just do that and they're fine right they're doing fine but they're still living in a house that they bought in the 80s and they're still driving that 82 mittens, you know, and uh, it's it's just, man, be sexy, do construction, do layout, build big buildings, go make some money if that's what you like to do. You know, you don't need to be a surveyor to do that. And I don't think that's surveying. I think that's field engineering. And I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. And it's a and that's just my take on that. I like the term field engineering yeah. better than just staking. Yeah. I think yeah. that's a good way to adopt it. I think so. It. It's a good term. I, I will say, though, that, you know, that could be the worst sales pitch for surveying. Oh, well, that's what I was getting ready to say is, <laughs> so how do I take that? that? A surveyor is a person who is scraping it out. Like, that's terrible that's right. to say about the industry. And so I would say a, a surveyor 
is a person who uh, knows where shit goes and knows how to get it there with extreme precision. Like that is the, you know, that is what the trade uh, or profession uh, really is. And I would say whether you decided to go the sexy route or the unsexy route, um, you should be really good at your job. One thing I'd like that you said was you use the term soft skills. Um, I feel like mm. soft skills is what's missing in the industry to yep. be, to be very frank. Um, and I feel like soft skills uh, to me is in the direction of, um, do you know what it means to grow as a professional? So like we have a lot of surveyors that are guys that like to live in the woods and they don't like to be social. Well, that person is a terrible mentor. So he probably won't be a manager in the future. Um, you know, that person doesn't know how to, to self-advocate. He doesn't know how to get all of his learning and skills outside of his body for the next person. So I think soft skills is the real answer for the surveying industry that's e extremely underpromoted. Um, and that if we're ever going to get anywhere, it's going to be through soft skills. Like we know how to mentor, we know how to communicate, we know how to talk to owners. We don't disappear from the job site before we talk to the superintendent because we don't like conversations and conflict. And we only want to lay out what was on the staking request. Like soft skills is where it's at. And, and I would say that, you know, whether we're out in the field or whether we're on a construction site, those soft skills are what will turn a, a mediocre surveyor into like a badass that everyone's like, can you please manage my crews? Uh, can you please manage this department? Can you go talk to this owner? Can you be the guy that represents us at the convention? Like soft skills is where it's at. I don't think that just being a, a lone, you know, a lone instrument man in the woods is the place to, we, if we're hanging our industry on that, we're done. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've what, got chills. I've got chills. What, what about you, Ray? Do you have any slightly better sales pitch to get kids into <laughs> surveying? Than like, so, <laughs> so, Ray. Set the bar low for you. We can't rely on mittens here. Yeah, no, no kidding. Ray, Ray, so, before, I had a, before I had a Joe Biden moment and called you Bill, uh, I was trying to give Ray an opportunity to chat. Yeah. Uh, all I was, was going to say is that. Uh, I look at real surveying a little bit different. Uh, sure, there are those, uh, as I like to call them, the, the old war dogs that tell their old war stories. Ah, well, those familiar. I split sections back in the day with my transit and chain. Those are the guys that still dominate a lot of state associations and their conferences. Mm. And Damn. I look at it a little bit different. Like most of, not most, a lot of the projects I like to work on are big DOT projects. There's a lot of control networks going on. We're rebuilding miles of right of way. We're you know, we are cutting sections just happens to be with GNSS, not total state or not transits and chains. So we're still getting into like the surveying what it is, still getting into the mathematics. And it's not just, you know, construction layout. Um, what I think is also a big portion of surveying is the construction layout. And I think we're doing a great service, great disservice from a state level by not regulating it for surveyors. Uh, I'm sure everybody here has seen the uh, person working for whatever company and they're laying out a road leading up to a bridge approach and they have no idea how to read a set of plans. I learned that. I mean, that's part of school. That was part of, you know, my mentoring as a crew chief. Learn how to read a set of plans. Oh, hey, I can check grade. I know what's going on, not just somebody painting a dot on the subgrade or what I have to do to, all right, add stone here. I know what's going on. And that's the part of surveying I think we should actually push a little bit more as surveyors 
and perhaps lobby lobby our state uh, representatives to get that as group uh, survey practice. Hello, Geoholics. We'd like to take a second to thank our good friend Mark Taylor and the folks at Extreme Aerial Productions. Founded in 2014, Extreme Aerial Productions LLC is a professional aerial drone video and photography company based in Scottsdale, Arizona. They work in all 50 states, are FAA approved for commercial drone operations, and backed by the best aviation insurance money can buy. EAP is a seven-person team passionate about capturing the perfect shot. EAP is committed to delivering the best results for their clients by being attentive to their needs and adopting a detail-oriented and professional approach. Their years of experience in the industry and the highest grade drone equipment available means our clients receive the most professional photography and videos. Their motto is, we tell stories with drones. Find out more at ExtremeAerialProductions.com. I do have one question, though, and one, the, the main reason that we're here having this discussion is because there was a post on LinkedIn by uh, by Tyler, Tyler B, let's say. Um, he's not with us here this evening, unfortunately, but uh, you know, he was talking about the fact that you know he's passed the FS exam, he's passed the PS exam, he just hasn't taken any state-specific exams, is my understanding, but yet he's in a position to educate future surveyors. Mm. Now, it's like, what should the requirement be to educate future surveyors? I mean, does that person need to be a registrant or a licensed surveyor? Or can it be somebody like Tyler who isn't a registered surveyor, but yet has a shit ton of survey experience and is in a pretty good position from a, a, a knowledge and experience uh, situation to pass that on to future surveyors? I mean, what, what does that look like? I mean, Peter, in your opinion, I, I think I know the answer, but what, what are your thoughts on that? So I agreed with Tyler in what he's doing. I think he's doing something really great because he's actually looking at the locating side and he's trying to educate people on the surveying part of the locating. Um, now I have friends, so I say I only have a diploma in surveying. I didn't go to university to do surveying. I chose not to go to university because I didn't want to be a registered surveyor. Can I ask you I a question real that. quick? Can I ask you one question? Yeah. You said you have a diploma yeah. in surveying? Yep. What does that mean? Uh, it's a vocational level. It's okay. Lower than a cult. Well, I don't know how what you think of what it is over there, but it's, it's not university yeah. level. It's the grade below. So that's what most of our technical surveyors have. And that's what I teach. I teach the certificate for and diploma level. So some of us who have gone through that system have worked with registered surveyors, have worked on construction sites, have worked on roads, have done all of this sort of different stuff, learnt a lot. We haven't learnt um, the educational side at, as you would university, but I learnt from the surveyor that I worked with for 10 and a half years how to run the, the business how to order the plans, how to, define, how to define boundaries. So I could do it. I'm not licensed to do it. I'm not registered to do it. So there's people out there and some of my friends are in the same position. They have their own companies. They run rings around some of these people that come out of university now, mm. yet they're not allowed to do that stuff. So they can teach them. They are teaching younger people surveying. So to me, it's, I mean, I, I guess, oh, and the other thing is, and I don't want to sound horrible, but there's university people who are teaching surveying who have been in the system for 20 or 30 years 
and have not worked in the field, yet they're still allowed to teach surveying principles. Mm. Surveying has foundations. It's the same. But it's changed and they've had no experience. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Great point. Um, Mike. That's struggle. Yeah, no, really well said. Mike, what do you have to add to that? Uh, so, so Tyler's, the, the issue that I had with Tyler's post was not the fact that he teaches something because mm-hmm. it's really irrelevant to me what Tyler does with his time. What I, I only had issue with one word and it's yeah. when he said, teach others to survey like a licensed professional land surveyor. Mm-hmm. And I just saw that and I thought, well, you can't say that. Um, you could say, um, I can teach you how to survey like a kick-ass survey technician and and you're going to get a raise and you're going to end up uh, getting licensed later probably or something. It's marketing. I have no issue with anybody training or doing whatever it is that they do with themselves. But it's just the word like. And the reason that I I, I get caught up in that and and you'll see me, I'm a stickler because as a a planning commissioner, I am – uh, part of a, a commission that goes through uh, code, county code, mm. and and we quibble about words, man. I mean, words mm-hmm. are important; they're law. Sure. They become sure. law, yeah. and they then they guide people. So when I see something like that, I'm just like, you can't say like, and that's it. That's all I got to say. Yeah. I, I, other than that, train away, man. I sure. mean, if you like training, you should train people. It's hey, it's important to do. I totally agree, Mike. Just. Can I just ask, Mike, um, I'm sure you've read some of the other comments on that post. And there was a lot of people who said that he couldn't. And coming from people who are licensed, registered, all that kind of stuff, saying that he should not be able to, that you have to be licensed to teach surveying. What's your well, take on that? I, like, is he teaching surveying or is he teaching people how to use like uh, ground penetrating radar? and um, showing people how to map it out. If he's, if he's taking a drawing, if he's taking geospatial information on utilities, underground utilities, and he's aggregating them into a drawing, and then he's showing whether those utilities are in the right of way or not in the right of way, that last part, that's surveying. You can't do that. You can't make a map and say, this utility is on private property and this is in the right of way. That's end of, that's that's a that's a cut and dried story right there. But I don't know if he's teaching people how to do that. I, I didn't really go through his whole list. Yeah. And honestly, um, if he is, can't do it. And uh, and there are a lot of people who do feel strongly about this. And and I don't um, I don't walk in their shoes. And their perspectives are different than mine. So I would say as a as a uh, person who is teaching surveying specifically um, and someone who is unlicensed, um, if I was to say I am teaching. So if or if Tyler was to say, um, I don't want to teach like a professional surveyor, I want to teach them to survey 
according to ALTA, ACSM, you know what I mean? Like, well, what does that mean? That means open up a book and you're going to read this, you're going to read this, you're going to test on this item. And hey, you're proficient in knowing what these regulations say that you have to do. That's definitely something that's that's doable, right? You know, a, a, a math teacher isn't a, a mathematician, but they teach math. A, a, the person teaching psychology at uh, an accredited university like ASU only needs to have a master's. They don't need to be a psychologist, right? Um, so really it's it's like, how do you track proficiency or what is the training criteria that you're using to say at the end of the day, oh, they they met this criteria. They took a test that said that they know this, you know, particular set or subset of information. So they're they're proficient in that. Um, you know, I, I would just go back to, you know, you can't say that you're teaching surveying, but you can teach the principles of surveying. You know, I, I, I have been using the uh, the surveyor's handbook, uh, field engineering methods manual, right? I can open that book and teach best practices from that thing all day and a student can walk away with those best practices hands down, whether I'm licensed or not. I use those practices myself in my own experience subset or in, in the construction world. <laughs> or outside of the construction world, you know, uh, but I just want to say like you, I, I think one of the real questions is how do we decide whether someone uh, is either teaching the right information or uh, is a qualified person to teach that like from an experiential standpoint, because I, I don't think that the licensing component is relevant, but what are you teaching? Is it relevant to the industry? Is it relevant yeah. to the student, et cetera? Mm. Yeah, I, th I think it's a really good point. And I guess and I, I don't know, I, I, I need to remain partial, right? Or impartial, I guess is what it is. Um, but my, my thoughts are, based on what I'm hearing, is that, you know, what does it matter where the education comes from if between the education and the experience and the mentoring, that individual can ultimately pass the licensure exam, assuming they've met the requirements for that specific state? What does it matter? Right? That's kind of where, where I fall in is that the states are responsible for their testing. Uh, if the person can pass it, great. Now, you also have the states have specific criteria, for instance. Uh, in Michigan at the time, I had what they called a related degree, but I had to take a number of accredited survey credits from an institution in order to write the licensing exam. Uh, I felt it was a little bogus or over the top, but so be it. Uh, yeah. When it comes to uh, training like Tyler is doing, I mean, have at it. If, if, if he's willing to do it, uh, people are willing, willing to watch, listen. I, I mean, there's there's plenty out there. There are YouTube channels showing yeah. surveying from right. people overseas, uh, across, you know, across the world. Somebody, if somebody wants to learn it, they're going to learn it. Uh, I think where the key comes in is when you get into universities and accredited classes. Mm -hmm. And that's for degree or for licensure. But even at that, uh, there are many colleges that have non-licensed surveyors teaching surveying. I mean, a lot of, I can think of a handful of colleges in the Midwest that civil engineering teachers who are not licensed surveyors are teaching survey curriculums. And better or worse, however you, <laughs> however you view that, yep. uh, I think they're doing a disservice. Yeah. Yeah, and what are the speaking to Yeah, go ahead, Peter. No, go ahead. I was, gonna say, I was just speaking to Alison over in England, um, who has uh, some program. She's got a program, class of your own, over there, and teaches in schools. And she also had a lot to do with that vocational level training. And she said that there are people 
teaching surveying who are um, plumbers and things like that that oh, well. really don't know about surveying, but they're teaching the program because there's no one else to do it. So let's just throw a plumber in there to teach surveying. It's, yep. Well, that's my yeah. question. The talking points we talked about to get to this point were all about we have a lack of people interested, people to teach them, people to mentor. So where do we draw the line of, okay, we don't want a plumber teaching surveyor, surveyors, but if the alternative is no one, yeah. where, I mean, <laughs> where, where do, I mean, I, I get it. You don't want anybody doing it, but if no one's doing it, that's still just as bad. I, I, I don't know. I'll throw that out to the group. But mm. I mean, is this a, you know, the worst case or best case or, you know, the best we can get or I'll take anything kind of thing or, or how does, how do you guys think about it? Well, I mean, I look so, at Brandon and I'm not trying to like, you know, blow sunshine up Brandon's ass, but he's one of the best <laughs> construction staking you and know. got the most sexiest voice on them. Yeah, oh, you're never, never going to live that one down, Kent. Never going to live that one down. But I look like somebody like <laughs> I look like so I look at somebody like Brandon who is like, in my opinion, in the perfect position. You know, he's he's teaching the survey class at ASU and the construction management program, whatever, and he is a he. He's being allowed to take his expertise and take it on the road and go to contract these, you know, work with these contractors and field engineers and this and that and show them the right way to do these things. Yes, it's not the legal part of survey. It's more the technical side. But my goodness, there's there's no better, no better candidate in my mind than Brandon to be doing what he's doing right now. But he's also doing it in a state that doesn't require. But he's doing no. They're going out. They're going post secondary out education sure. to get licensed. But but it's beyond that now. They're they're crossing state lines they're going to other states and doing these programs yeah we're nationwide nationwide yeah but i guess my question yeah. is if if the the disservice would be if a wow. student thinks that they are getting qualifying education from brandon mm -hmm. goes to another state say hey i took this class from brandon not and they're like well that's not accredited not that accredited. doesn't yeah. count yeah I mean, I guess it's about going into it with your eyes open. Like, hey, yeah. we're going to teach you the profession. You yeah. can learn this. Depending on how you want to use it and what you want to do it with, you may need more education from certain things. I don't necessarily agree with it, but you might need it to get there. Yeah. And as long as they know that going into it, it's almost like if I sign up for Brandon's class and knowing that I can't go to Kentucky to get my yeah. license, then so be it. What's, what's the yeah. big deal? It's no different than myself. I got yeah. my degree in architecture from Southern Illinois University, which wasn't an accredited architecture school. So I knew going into it that in order for me to become a licensed architect in the state of Illinois, I would have to transfer my credits to the University of Illinois and finish up the architecture program there. It's really no different kind of really than that. Uh, the one thing I wanted to bring up, because you, 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 you mentioned engineering, but just from that perspective, I don't quite get the whole having to be licensed uh, because none of my engineering professors were licensed professional engineers. Mm, interesting. Because you yep. need both the education from an accredited school and a minimum qualifying experience to get a license and to pass a test. Hey, Mike, none of those guys did that. So Yeah, Mike, let me ask you something. Um, what percentage of the knowledge that is required to become a licensed professional surveyor, do you think an individual can learn in the classroom? Boy, that is the million dollar question. Um, so I'll, I'll take a stab at it. I'll say... There's no right answer. 
There's no right no, or wrong I answer. No, I know, but yeah. I'm, I'm, and, and this is interesting, and I'll just preface this answer with, um, so I, I can't, I, so I did 23 years. I did, I, I say it like, like it's a prison sentence. I did 23 <laughs> years in hard labor <laughs> consult and consulting engineering, working for big firms, you know, the big ones, the, the Stantex, the David Evans is, I, I work for them all. Um, <clears throat> I, in retrospect, I've got to say that I, I became a proficient cog in a wheel. Right, I became a, a functioning member of a larger team that was subservient to, mm. you know, the lost leader civil engineer who's out there selling to the clients. Right, it wasn't really until, and this is maybe embarrassing, and and I, I I'm saying this, and everyone's going to know this now, but I don't think I really figured out what it was I was doing until I hung my own shingle and I had to own it, man. I had to own every gesture, and so now. My day is not so much work, but gestures, right? Like, and I think to myself, what did I learn? I, I spent, if I, if I spent 23 years doing what I did, and that was one to one, I got like a five to one over the last seven years. Hmm. So it's like, I've got 35 years experience. So if I think about what experience I needed percentage wise to be me for the first 23 years, I'm gonna say, I could probably get all of that from school, right? But to get to do what I do now, ten mm. percent. Interesting. Seriously, yeah. I don't do math. I don't do math. I have a I have a, a phone calculator where I run like tangents yep. uh, of angles, and I convert degrees, minutes, and seconds to decimal degrees and back again. That's the limit of my math. Now I know how to use all the software, all the crazy shit that everybody uses. I'm proficient at it. I know what my workflows need to be. Can you learn that in school? No way. No way. You can't take a class in AutoCAD. Who's taken an AutoCAD class and learned anything in like three days or a week or a month? It takes years and years. So to me, if you teach someone how to think critically, think critically and write and speak, I think you're on to something. The, the everything else, math, science, physics, useful stuff, right? But being able to think critically, if we could come up with a way to train people to do that, those would be excellent surveyors. Mm. But you said, would, just, you said I, could I, be and I'm would be, but right. not are. They're not leaving school I, ready to I go. Think that, yeah. uh, you know, I, although I, I completely agree, um, however, like the regulation for, uh, you know, filing a property or how to subdivide, like all of those are things that are written down and anything that is written down can be taught, right? Uh, you know, the experience side or what made us proficient or even what made us remarkable in our career, that's the experience. I mean, hands down, it's the experience. However, uh, you know, we should be looking for ways to teach experience then, you know, if you're, if you're fired up about the surveying industry, like where, where is your book? Uh, you know, why aren't you consulting and traveling to multiple companies outside of your companies and being like, you know how cool surveying is guys, your guys over there doing it like crap, like here's how you could be doing better. There's, there's a lot of ways that we need to like promote, uh, promote the, the beauty of the experience inside the industry. However, when we're talking about like teaching somebody something like, hey, you guys, all that stuff comes from a book and it always has. And uh, the person behind that book is probably not as important. 
However, when a person with the background of experience is doing it, wow, that learning is a lot more remarkable. Um, but I'll again say, I also come from a vocational college background um, and uh, I'm, I'm fired up about the industry. Uh, I hate to see things being done poorly. I hate to see surveying being misapplied in the construction world. And I'm teaching all of that stuff and you know everything that I can pump into a class because I'm fired up about it. And I wanna see people have great careers and do this stuff right also on top of that. And so to say that it's a guy with the license ultimately that should be doing it, man, I, I hope it's not. I hope it's somebody who's excited about it or somebody that really want that has experiential, uh, you know, a background and wants is like fired up about conveying that to the people that he's teaching. You know, I heard the like plumber comment, you know, uh, I, I hope that plumber's fired up about surveying. I don't know what he's doing there, or, you know, why they hired him. Um, on a similar note, uh, the vendors that are training most of our surveyors to use our equipment uh, are also not licensed and they probably aren't even surveyors. And what are they teaching our guys? Hey, when the GPS unit says 0 0.01, zero zero five you can believe that uh okay non-surveyor like that's yeah. some scary stuff too that's happening on a pretty regular basis so going back to teaching students from the zero level yep it's going to come from a book let's hope somebody that's fired up about the industry is standing behind the book well i'm really curious what this group thinks and you kind of alluded to the last question but so does everyone here think that you have to have in classroom education to become to be a surveyor Yes, without a doubt. I think probably a quarter of a profession such as surveying needs to have some type of classroom education. I had an entire semester in writing legal descriptions. Mm. I, I mean, that's that's the way it was. Uh, does it still need to be that way? Yeah, there's a good, very good consideration to think about legal descriptions. But along those same lines, that's a boring class. That is a boring ass class. Sorry, it's uh, boring. You got to do it, right? <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, most most places, most degrees have that class. Uh, if it's differential equations, uh, may God be with you. But <laughs> it, it happens to be uh, also doing what I would consider a hybrid class. I teach a couple of universities, uh, civil engineers, construction manager students, surveying. And usually every class, uh, half of it is in, in the classroom going over what we're going to do in the field. And then the second half, we're outside. I could teach an entire class and just on laying out uh, parking lots, you know, it, a whole semester. It's like, okay, you can, this is how you read the plans. This is how you lay it out. But they also have to know control. They have to know how the control is set, who set it. And those are things that would be in a prerequisite class. So when we say quote unquote classroom, yeah, it needs to be taught. I mean, you could teach that to one person in the field on a two person crew, but if you could get a dozen students, I mean, I consider that a lot of students <laughs> into a class such as that, that's invaluable. And that's one surveyor that could teach 12 people how to do it. You need the foundation knowledge. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. I've, the, the students I'm teaching right now have been working in industry anywhere from a couple of months through to a couple of years. And some of the basic stuff that I'm teaching them right now, they're doing out in the field, but they're not understanding why they're doing it. Yeah. Right? So they know what they're doing. They don't understand the, 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 the foundations behind it of why they are and what they need to look for and how they, they do their checks and things like that. So they sit there and, and 
you know, I'm going through the simplest things and like I'm talking about level runs and, and closing level runs and doing two peg, basics, two peg chests. Why do you do that? How do you check your accurate, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And they're like, oh, we just, we just do it. We don't know what we're actually doing. So that foundation, that education and foundation does need to be taught for sure. But also the experience out in the field and having the mentors makes a massive difference as well. My diploma level students, I'm teaching project management. I'm teaching checking plans, how to read plans, how to convert feet and inches to meters. They haven't done that stuff before. And I'm explaining to them why you need to do it, why you need to check it, how you're going to do a close. I don't, I can't define a boundary, but I can show them what we need to look at because instead of just getting a bit of data onto your, your data recorder and going out and setting out or picking up, they're now looking and thinking, they're using their brain and thinking about what they're actually doing out there, how they can check things while they're out there. Instead of just being the monkey, picking it up, sending it back to the office, getting somebody else to look at it, they're starting to think, they're starting to ask questions. Why am I doing this? Why do I need to pick up that extra mark? Why do I need to do this? So I'm bringing in those soft skills as well and being able to ask the questions to their supervisors. Why am I doing this? Yeah. Uh, quick, quick question, Peter. Uh, what's the what's the name of your, your podcast? Defining Boundaries. Oh, okay. I thought you said you, you didn't do that, but... I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Just not legally. Just not legally. Yeah. You're so funny. I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Ah, that's right. That's right. Well, but to that credit, Peter also There's said she's teaching project management, but I'm guessing she's not a certified project management professional. No, I'm not. There you go. No, I'm not. I've been a project manager. That was one of my positions in industry. Right. I was a project manager. Yeah. But I don't have a qualification in project management. Yeah. I think we're talking about a fine line between like the technical side of serving and the legal side of serving. Well, yeah, that's where I yeah, wanted to get to. So. And part yeah, of even using the word surveyor, like who are you talking about? Mm. I, I definitely consider myself a surveyor. I really do. I, you know, but uh, am, I'm I, a surveyor. am I legally I'm a, a surveyor? Yeah. Uh, am I a professional licensed surveyor? I am not that. I, I can't claim that. Right. But uh, there are plenty of people surveying uh, for civil engineers company for civil engineering companies for surveying companies that are out in the field uh, right now, uh, and they consider themselves surveyors. I know that they do, and they'd love to know how to do their job uh, better, and you know, continue learning. But what about that difference yeah. between technical and legal? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a really good talking point. Um, you know, my fear is that. And like I was at the Reality Capture Network conference here a couple of weeks ago in Boise, you know, and there's, you know, 200 people there that are, you know, experts in the scanning side and reality capture side. And again, that's a whole nother aspect of measuring that surveyors are allowing to get away from us, unfortunately, kind of like mm -hmm. GIS. Um, mm -hmm. But the thing is, technology is advancing, in my opinion, at such a rapid pace. And because of the fact that there's fewer and fewer surveyors, a these engineers and contractors and so on and so forth are going to find other ways to get the job done. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be done by a licensed surveyor. I think that unfortunately where we're going to end up as a surveying profession is to just be um, managing the legal side of it. You know, the topos, yeah. construction staking, yeah. all that other stuff is going to be done by whoever. Yeah. I, I, I would say that. And you're, and you're taking your accuracy at your own risk yeah. kind of thing, yeah. right? Yep. 
this could That's be a I risky statement, but like uh, not everybody can be a superintendent, even though there are field engineers that have all of that guy's knowledge, yep. but they don't know how to manage. They don't know how to talk to owners, mm -hmm. et cetera. So like that guy that moved way up and he's making a whole bunch of money, like he got there off of a lot of professional skills. Sure. A lot of times our surveyors are still being, um, you know, kind of used as like a worker. Um, and so in a, at a general contractor, you have professional development trainings, you have management trainings, you have all of this soft skill stuff that turned a field engineer into a superintendent. Like, where is that in the surveying industry? Where is that happening for the most part? Right. Um, right. That most companies are doing that. They're leaving their surveyor hanging out there. Like he is a worker, you know, oh, he comes in in a vest and his boots are muddy. So the civil engineers like you're a worker saying sometimes, right. Um, and so that person is not being elevated as a professional. Um, and so like, we're like, oh, these guys are workers. Well, we have other workers over here at our general contracting company that can also do his worker stuff. And now they're doing it. Mm. Um, they're not just like, oh, we really need this professional to come to our project and talk to us and show us how it's done and have a plan and work with our project team. You know, like a surveyor is rarely part of the project team. He's just a person that shows up for general contractors. Like he shows up when he shows up even yeah. um, like we're, we're not integrating with the professional world because we're not, uh, you know, building ourselves uh, up from within as professionals. We're building ourselves up technically all the time, but like yeah. that professional end is really lacking. And that's why we're not like, oh, these are, we need these professionals to come and join our team. So we even know what the hell is going on here. And it's, it's being replaced by, uh, you know, construction workers. Yeah, Brandon, you touched on something there I think is really important to circle back on, and that is the fact that, we, you know, we, we are professionals. We are professional measures, let's say. And when I was at RCN, again, I sat on a panel with six other surveyors talking about the importance of integrating the surveying skill set into the reality capture network side of things, like the importance of setting control and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of folks there, you know, were kind of caught you know, caught by surprise. It's like, oh, okay, so that's why my scans are off by blah, 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 because maybe my control wasn't what it needed to be. And maybe I do need to incorporate the skill set of a professional surveyor to do that type of thing. So yeah, I, I agree with you 100%, Brandon, with exactly what you're saying. Yeah, Brandon, I, I thought that, oh. Go, go ahead, ahead, Mike. You go. You go. No, I, I was going to say that I, I really like that thoughtful comment. And I think that... Um, from my perspective, I have sort of transcended technology mm. as a professional. And I, and I, if it comes across as, as kind of a heavy philosophical statement, it's because it is. And, and I know that to be true. And if, if you don't know how to do that, if you don't know how to do, use those soft skills, and if you don't know how to communicate effectively with people and guide people through very complex and convoluted pathways, um, you're not going to have that role as, uh, as a leader and, and as a, as a good consultant. And yeah, you, you can't really teach those kinds of skills necessarily in a quick classroom, but developing those skills over time and more importantly, um, highlighting to the student that those kinds of skills are probably more important than anything else that they're ever going to learn technically 
in the long term is really important. And and I don't know if, if the kids yeah. that I meet that are younger, that are coming up through the profession, either um, going to school as civil engineers, but then changing majors or going as a, a, a surveyor uh, in an associate's program and then transferring to a four-year degree or just kind of like mucking about or whatever. Uh, I just don't get the feeling that a lot of them are being taught to be leaders. And going back to what Kent was saying, um, being at the table, being a leader is what I do best. And I have sold myself as that kind of person. Yep. And that's my product. And I sell that before anybody even knows that I've got a whole closet full of, you know, Wahoo gadgets and a whole office full of stuff. And, and that's just irrelevant. And you just, you got to make it all go away. And once it comes down to it and you got that signed contract and time to hit the ground, you come out guns blazing. Yeah. But, but how do you get those people trained to be that way? I think that's the key. I think it's, it's, it's you're, pro you're providing, you're providing tools to them. And there's, there's people that do that and there's people that don't. And some people have it, some people don't, some people learn from it. But I mean, I've met teachers that really shouldn't be teachers because they do not connect with the students. They they do not show any kind of wanting to help them. Um, it's in the individual who's trying to pass that knowledge on. You know, that's something that I do every day is try and provide my students with the tools that they can use and grow and learn from when they're out in the field. And, you know, I'm teaching them some stuff that they may never use again, but I have to say to them, I've got to teach you this. It's in our curriculum. It has to be done. This is, yeah. you know, it's something 10 years down the track, you might go, oh, yeah, I remember Peter telling me about that and I know about it. But the other things that I'm trying to teach him is just not what's in the curriculum. It's about how they manage themselves, how they do think, how they problem solve. If they make a mistake, it's okay. Own yeah. up to it. Own up to it. Learn from it. Ask questions. And, and even, you know, the, the guys that I've got, and I've only got a small group at the moment, the questions that they now ask me because they know that I'm open to listening to them. So that, and if I can't provide the answer, it's like, that's a really good question. And they go, oh, this might be a stupid question. No question is stupid. You, you're learning, you're gonna ask. And if I can't find the answer, I will go and ask somebody else what the, the answer is and come back to them because that is how they're going to learn. And they know that now that they can ask those questions. So they now start doing that at work. And this is eight weeks into the program. You know, we're working on projects and I say, you need to do this, you need to do that. One of them said, my supervising surveyor hasn't given me anything. And I'm like, it's not your problem. It's not their problem. They're not doing it. It's your project. You need to go to them. You need to organize the meetings. That afternoon, he's gone and done it. And he's taken that step. So he's already learned something already that he can't sit back anymore. He needs to start moving forward and being responsible. And that, that you know, that's part of my teaching anyway. That's that's how I see it to help these people within the industry. I, I think that a, a lot of the, you know, if you're a person who's, uh, you know, listening and you're like a, a department manager or you're a senior party chief or you're, you know, uh, 
an associate with a company, like what kind of professional development or what kind of development is happening for the surveyors in your company? Or is that mm. something that's not really happening? But there's definitely a, a responsibility there. Uh, I will shameless plug for a second. Um, I did uh, write a book uh, recently and uh, it's not even about uh, technical skills. It's a, literally about professional development in the surveying industry because nice. I feel like that is, you know, the place where we're, you know, slipping. And I would say that that's happening at the level of what is, you know, what is our company's desire for us? Is it for us to become construction, you know, management, construction team professionals, or is it for us to be professional measurers? Uh, we could have a, a, a remarkably more uh, amazing human being as part of our team if we also elevated them uh, professionally and not just technically. Hmm. What's the book? Tell me, you didn't say the title. You plugged a book. <laughs> uh, elevating Construction Surveyors. Elevating Construction Surveyors. That sounds like a, a great title. Congratulations on getting yeah, that uh, in a book. Nice work. Hello again, Geoholics. We'd also like to thank our good friends at Carlson Software, whose software I actually use on a daily basis. Carlson Software has been producing software and hardware solutions for the land surveying, civil engineering, GIS, and construction industries since 1983. Carlson's unique approach provides geomatics professionals with the most powerful, affordable, and independent technology options and the best free, unlimited tech support in the industry. I can say from personal experience, it is second to none. Their mission is to be the premier independent developer of land surveying, civil engineering, construction, and mining technology products. To find out more, visit carlsonsw.com and be sure to mention that you heard about them on the Geoholics. Thinking about some of the post-secondary education programs that are available to surveyors, there's not a ton of them, but there there's are plenty. I said not plenty, but there's a number of them. You know, my my question is even for those programs, I mean, are they able to keep up with the um, you know the, the the changes in technology? And you know, I know a lot of these you know public education programs in order to make changes, it's like, you know, turning a battleship, as they say, you know, it takes a long time. Well, surveying and the technologies that we use are advancing at such a rapid pace. I don't know that the public schools are able to keep up with that and incorporate that into their curriculum. Whereas a private type program, much like what Brandon has, um, is able to do that. Agree, but disagree. Who please allow it? Doesn't have to be private, right? <laughs> it doesn't have to be. Because, yep. Okay, so coming from being on both sides, yep. public and private, um, the public are set in their ways, and it's hard for them to make change. Being on the private side, as long as I meet all of the criteria of the unit of competencies that that we are delivering in, and giving giving the qualification, the competency in, it doesn't matter how I do it. So I can, I can, at a drop of a hat, bring something else in. I can bring a somebody, some subject matter expert in to teach them that stuff or to show them how to do it. Mm -hmm. They struggle on the public side to do that. That's my point. I agree. That, 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 and that's not, I don't know how that's going to change. There's too many people. There's too many policies. Um, they, they don't like change. And that's why I left. Yep. Brand? Do you have some? 
You know, I, I, I would just say that, well, the most of the people that work on the public side in surveying, you know, we're probably longtime surveyors. And I think that if we're promoting uh, an industry change that has a little bit more than just sticking to the hard and fast rules, um, you know, then we're headed in the right direction. Like those people will be byproducts of the industry. Uh, right. That's the that's the point. Or, or at least that's probably where they came from. Um, and so the hope would be that, you know, some like uh, overall, you know, arching direction of the industry leads to better persons in those positions. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, excuse the persons that are there right now if they're not, you know, maybe living up to their potential or, or fulfilling their duties in a way that benefits the profession. Mm. Problem yeah. we have over here in Australia is that, um, on the vocational side for the surveying, um, you look at the courses that are delivered within TAFE and there might be say 1500 different courses and you look at the numbers that go through them, um, your electrical, your plumbing, all that kind of stuff, they're sitting up at number one and two on the list of, you know, having the most students and surveying I would say is down at 3000. Mm. Did you not hear I just said there's only about 1500 courses? Mm. So we don't even get a look in when it comes to Wow. Getting new technology, getting support or anything like that. Crazy. So what's going to mm -hmm. give? I mean, something's got to give here, right? <sighs> Again, the million dollar question. I'm, I'm not sure exactly. Well, ultimately, as as from my perspective, if technology continues to improve and in my view, especially in, <laughs> in engineering side as well, it's all about understanding you can have people push buttons and get data it's what you do with that and mm -hmm. the way i see it is the professional side on especially as technology grows is understanding where the error is mm -hmm. and how to interpret data and understand what that means and as that decreases the you know maybe the level, level of precision needs to increase but there still has a need for professionals to understand what that means compared to everything else yeah so it seems like that the technology is always going to improve, but in the profession, you're still always going to need to have professionals that understand what that technology can and cannot do. Yeah, I think you summed it up would, really well. Yep. I would say we, you know, we've also got relatively, uh, you know, outdated or the inexpensive version of uh, conventional equipment um, builders levels that we're using uh, at ASU. Um, but we can definitely teach uh, best practices and the students are definitely using best practices in the field. And so when they go and use something out, like here's a good example, uh, you know, visually turning a doubled angle um, versus like the robot did it or the robot didn't turn a doubled angle. Like, do you know why you even turned a double angle in the first place? Like, <laughs> right. what were you concerned about that at some time in, in, in history, people were turning a doubled angle? Um, and so a lot of just... You know, whether you believe in that now or not, the best practices of the past make you think about, oh, now the equipment does it this way, or uh, you may even benefit from using older equipment or reviewing best practices because your equipment may do something else or may do it simpler, faster, um, but you'll actually be able to question, oh, that's interesting. Is that as effective as this mm. other method? Why or why not? Yep. Um, so, you know, there could even be some benefits to the fact that we've got the old stuff um, because there, there are tried and true methods that are still the best practiced, uh, not just because they're old and tried and true, but are still the best practice. It's, it's pretty important. Well, and I think that goes back to the difference between, 
you know, the, the technical part and the legal part, like, you know, we're just, we're talking about how to take measurements, but the, uh, you know, bearings and, and boundaries and all those things are, are not going to change. It's just how we get measurements to get there. Yep. So that those fundamentals are still going to have to be taught. And in order to be a professional in this business, you still have to understand what those fundamentals are. Yep. And what we're talking about is how we get the measurement to get there. And like I said, it's just in the air, the implied error or what error could be in those measurements and understanding what it is until you can take it as a source of truth. And you talked about precision and accuracy. And if they don't understand what they are, how can they do their job properly? Right. So the, we talk about the old equipment. Well, all the, the technology is just refining what that precision and accuracy is. Ultimately, it's still understanding what that is, you know, what your error is right. and what to do with it. Yeah. Well, I think Brandon is on to something with um, the analog equipment. And I, I do a lot of uh, work with contractors and, and other builders who are sharp people that don't really utilize the tools that they have available. And um, you've got guys with, uh, with scopes, right? They don't have EDMs on them. And, and they're, they're asking me to lay out, uh, you know, this grid line. It's like, look, there's already a grid line. With, you can set up on this and you could just turn your sets and uh, at least you can get a line off of it. You know, they won't do that. I was working on a project with the um, local DLT this summer, and they were building all these handicap ramps, right, for the ADA handicap ramps. And these poor guys were out there with these, like, um, pieces of two-by-four that they'd strapped, like, eight-foot levels onto with duct tape that they were trying to – and I'm like, have you guys ever seen a linker? You know, it's like – my God, I've put benchmarks literally at all four corners of this project where you're going to build um, handicap ramps. Let me bring in my lenker rod and I'll show you if you for like two grand, you guys are going to build 300 of these on the next project. Why don't you use this? Oh, no, 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 no. We can't. Uh, you know, that's uh, no, there's no way. And then and then you look at the ODOT, the DOT manual yeah. and they forbid lenker rods oh to be used for any kind of determination of differential elevations and i'm like you guys are sinister mother effers because <laughs> a lenker rod and a level is the most perfect tool to use if yeah. you can still do that in arizona do not forget the lenker rod it is a beauty it is a beauty man i love the lenker rod. <laughs> yeah no doubt no doubt well said um what else touched on pretty much everything I was hoping we'd get to. Is there anything else you guys want to make sure we get out there? I just want to go back to something that yeah. is that happens in Australia about on the education side. Um, and we're talking about, you know, whether you have to be qualified or not. Mm. In Australia, to teach surveying at a tertiary level, so at my level, you have to have that qualification plus experience and industry currency and be able to map all of your qualifications to what you're delivering. Plus you also have to have a certificate for in training and assessment, which means that's another certificate on teaching. A registered surveyor cannot just come into 
our level and teach surveying. They have to have that cert for as well, even though they have a degree in surveying. You go to university level, you have to have a degree um, and and higher to teach in the university level. So no matter what you want to do on the education side of teaching, you have to have those qualifications to be able to teach surveying. Interesting. And that's across Australia. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, one of the things that I was thinking throughout and, you know, although it's opposite almost from our opinions, like there has to be some way to track progress. And oftentimes a certificate or a license says you at least learned this, right? It, it doesn't say where you, what you did with your experience after that. It says you at least, you know, read this book, you, you tested on it and, and you were approved. And so, you know, for, for people to, take a liking to, well, I'd really like you to have a license if you were going to teach this class. It's because they just want that reassurance that you know something to a certain level. Um, you know, as a person who's teaching that class without it, um, you know, I, I would even say like, how did they know I would be any good? Well, mm. it's a good, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. it is an interesting metric. And, uh, and oftentimes like we have to, it's reasonable to expect that there's some kind of a metric by which we could say, yeah, this person knows their stuff. And for most of the world, they're just going to be like, oh, well, you have this license, so you must know it. I, I, I believe that there are persons with a license that I could, you know, uh, survey a circle around. And I feel competent saying that. And there are people that I can't. Right. Um, but that that license says he knows what he's talking about, at least to a certain point in my career, in my professional career. There have been times where because I, I never wanted to have a license, I never wanted to do boundary or legal work. Um, when I got to a company, I maybe had to uh, take a step back on the totem pole and reprove that I knew everything that I knew because I didn't have a license. And hey, that was the fact. And I and I accepted that and I would welcome the challenge as well. Um, but if I had had that license, they would have been able to say, you at least know this. Um, and so, you know, having those metrics is reasonable. It's just not a guarantee of anything. Right. Yep. Yeah. No, well said. Completely agree with that. Mm. Completely agree. And there's, there's plenty of people out there. You know, I go back to the whole reality capture thing. There are plenty of people out there that are experts in uh, 3D scanning and mobile LIDAR and this and that. That Maybe they would like you more if you quit putting quotes around our experts. Like, uh, they're not licensed <laughs> surveyors by sure. any means, but they're making way more money than some licensed surveyors are. Yeah, but they can be experts in their in what they're selling and For not sure. have to be a yeah. licensed surveyor. Of course. Yeah. It's the difference I think we're talking about is if you are acting like you were a licensed surveyor yeah. versus not, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I, one of my good friends has no qualifications whatsoever. He's been in the industry for 11 or 12 years and he could run circles around some of the graduates that come out of university. Some of them who have even got their, their registration that have just gone through their registrations and he has no qualifications whatsoever. Mm. He's been well, taught well. And, and, and as a land surveyor uh, who's licensed, I can tell you about every person who's licensed who does not do a good job. I mean, mm. that's just our favorite topic of conversation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if that's not what we talk about when we're drinking beers, we're faking it, you know, <laughs> but because, but that's it. That's the truth, right? You're minimally qualified as a licensed land surveyor and mm. as a degree holder, 
you're minimally qualified. As a PhD, you're narrowly minimally qualified to hold a PhD. <laughs> Just because you have a PhD doesn't mean anything. I mean, how, my family's filled with PhDs. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what they do. What's going on with those guys? They're really, really good at going to school is yeah. what I found out. It's yeah. really good at it. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's been talked about before on the show. Um, one of the ideas that was floated out there was the idea of almost like following the medical model where like you would get your general survey certificate, which would allow you to do certain types of surveying. And then you would get your specialized certificate in ultra surveying or construction surveying or scanning or whatever. Um, it's an interesting concept. Well, I think I, the difference I, is... I think that's a good... It, when, who's going to regulate it, and when you don't regulate it, is someone going to die? Yeah. Right. Yeah, but you, you, you look at like the system that we have here, and I don't know how your system works, that you have to get certain amount of professional development points each year. You have to go to webinars, you have to go to conferences, you have to get a certain amount in general surveying, you've got to get a certain amount in cadastral, a certain amount in CAD, all of this kind of stuff. So if you if you have that license to be a construction surveyor or you have that license to be a cadastral surveyor or it was scanning or whatever it may be, then you would need to do that professional development to ensure that it goes every year that you get the right amount of professional development points in that area. And that's how that's how it's managed. Every registered surveyor in New South Wales has to get a certain amount of points every year of certain different ones. Mm. And if they don't meet that criteria every year, they actually lose their license. And they have to read, they have to make up those points to reapply for their license. They don't have to sit any exams again, yeah. but they have to then reapply to get their license. They cannot sign the plans. They cannot do the boundary work mm. if they don't have that license. So are the... Uh, professional development courses like well regulated i've found the ones that mm -hmm. i have here uh are not like yeah. they consider the annual surveyor meeting to be a official mm. uh professional development credits sure. and it's ridiculous if you want my opinion every everything that has a point or a half a point or a point two five point towards it gets assessed so if you want to have a conference you want to have a webinar you have to submit it to the CPD committee. You have to say, this is what's involved and this is how long it's gonna go for. Is it, is it an hour? Is it two hours? Is it a whole day? Whatever it is. And it then gets assessed and this is the amount of points that you can collect and you must prove that you have attended. Mm. Mm. And Shot. it sits in a CPD bank. You've got your name and it all gets in there. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the case in most states here. Uh, Sean, in, in, in Arizona, do you need to get uh, continuing education credits? Uh, no, actually, uh, as a licensed civil engineer, I yeah. do not have to do uh, continuing education. Yeah. Uh, I'm also licensed in New Mexico and I do but for New Mexico. Do. Correct. Yeah. That's what I, that's the point I was getting at. You know, mm -hmm. uh, Arizona is one of those few states that one, you don't have to have a post-second education post-secondary education to get a license, nor do you need to complete. But the difference uh, also is like Ray said, I mean, I just sleep my way through a couple conferences and get yeah. credit for it and I'm done. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a joke. Right? It's kind of a joke. I, that, yes. Well, that's kind of the bummer, right? Because the, the point of that is that you come back with that skill set and then pass it on to pass people on. in the industry, the people mm -hmm. that you're mentoring. So like yeah. if professional yeah. development, they're like, Hey, this is a really part of being a, a good, an important part of being a surveyor. 
you need to have this to continue being one. Um, you should go back to your company and be like, all right, surveyors, yeah. gather yeah. around. Uh, guess what it takes to be a surveyor? I definitely remember having like my, uh, you know, survey manager, uh, you know, come back from uh, a course and he's just like, yeah, it was really cool. And yeah. that information yeah. stays with that person and no one else is benefiting with it. That's a shame for sure. Right. Yeah. Well, but um, then the other side of that is like, when the there's, I go to the courses that, and when we go to all these conferences that I'm interested in and, you know, from a person that manages a business, I look at it from that perspective of, Oh, if I can gain some knowledge to help me have an edge or to help me learn more to expand into a new market that's where I want to learn more and obviously refine what I'm yeah. doing, but mostly it's what else is out there and how can I learn more from the aspect of the business? And if I can also get some credits for it. Yeah. Great. But uh, well, I, and, and I, maybe I, that maybe I, it's because I, I run be, a business and that's how I think mainly I now, but, professional development is making a better business. Like when you have yeah, better yeah. employees that can, that, that represent your business in an amazing way like that, that's money. True. Yeah. True. In saying that in Australia, as a technical surveyor, you do not have to do any professional development whatsoever. Mm. And the companies do not send their technical surveyors to these conferences. They do not send them to any of the, the webinars, anything like that. They focus on the graduates and the registered, which is a joke. It really yeah, is a joke. Yeah, it seems like that's opposite, right? Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Um, I think we've pretty much covered everything. Um, how, how far in are we? Our... Hour and a half? Yeah, hour and a half. Mm. Yep, good. Yep. Good stuff. I think we're good. Unless anybody else has anything else to add. Um, any gonna, uh, any closing thoughts from everybody? Give, yeah, let's give each, each person a uh, closing remark. Uh, Bill slash Ray, what do you got, buddy? Yeah. Uh, Bill Ray has... <laughs> Bill Ray uh, here. <laughs> Bill Ray here. Uh, <laughs> Billy Ray, now we're getting... <laughs> reminds, me, reminds me of my time in Texas. Um, oh, jeez. My big thing is I didn't hear anybody even touch on GIS professionals. And that's the big, <laughs> big next question here is that's where we need to go as surveyors. We need to encompass them. We need to get them. They have the programs, they have the people. And if we can get on board or uh, partner with them on a lot of different items, I mean, they, they have it. And we obviously missed the boat back yep. two decades Agreed. ago. You need to listen to the show more, Ray. Agree, hundred percent. Common topic. Yeah, no, I gotcha. agree. I agree with you, hundred uh, percent, Billy Ray. <laughs> uh, Brandon, uh, my, you know, my my thought would be uh, that as if we're anywhere in you know management, uh, company, business ownership. Um, we should be thinking about how we're developing uh, the surveyor as an overall professional, um, not just as a person who measures. Um, it'll make a you know a more effective part of the project team. Um, it'll you know boost this person in their career. Uh, that will look good on your record, of course, always right. Um, but it'll really propel that person. Uh, you know, we need to when we see when we have in our companies that that guy that's so good at, he gets in so many stakes a day. Or, you know, he can find a, you know, like a piece of flagging that's like this big, like buried under a rock 10 miles out into the woods. And like, we're promoting him and promoting him, but we never made sure that he 
got promoted after he got those professional development skills so that he could mentor the person that's coming behind him or so that he could uh, help that person that's working with him also grow their career like that's a staple in so many other places in the professional environment it needs to be a staple in ours as well and that will help people in the industry stay refreshed stay sharpening their skills um, you know, and and create that system of like, we've got mentors, we've got trainers, we've got people fired up about the industry, and it gets proliferated down the road. Hey, Brandon, uh, well said, first of all, second of all, before we let you get out of here, uh, how can folks find out more about uh, elevating construction surveyors? Um, Read the book. Well, uh, you can go to a lean survey uh, on YouTube. I do have a YouTube channel that has a lot of technical um, training type videos. Um, they're done from a little bit of a different style than just watching someone talk about doing something from the side. Some of it is like through the equipment, um, really focusing on the precision end of things. Um, they can reach out to uh, um, <clears throat> Elevate Construction uh, online. Um, Elevate Construction IST uh, is our website. And there's also um, links there for people who are getting into uh, construction management, more on the superintendent project management side. Um, we're doing boot camps for field engineers, uh, really trying to, you know, to just hit the whole industry with uh, effective, useful technical training um, that doesn't miss the professional side, um, which we feel is, you know, important, not only like on the industry side of things, but also um, that that will change the way that you live as a person, because a lot of those soft skills are person skills, they're life skills. Um, so that's what's super important to me. That's probably why I got, you know, maybe passionate about some of the thoughts earlier. Um, but uh, um, that's it. Elevate Construction IST. Awesome. I think I've Great. just met. I think I've just met the male person. The, the male person of me. I think so. Yeah. This whole yeah. time, I was just like, <laughs> I'm going to get some contact information right after. <laughs> uh, listen to Defining Boundaries. Yep. Thank you, <laughs> uh, Mike. Mike, what do you have to wrap up here? Um. Boy, I'm just inspired by all of the uh, educators on this panel. I think it's wonderful that you guys have uh, devoted yourselves to to that. My wife is a teacher. I see what uh, educators go through, and um, I think they're beautiful people. Um, I, uh, from my perspective, I agree with everything that uh, that Ray and, and Brandon and Peta have said about about their approaches. Um, there's there's really nothing I can add. I, I would just say that um, I kind of feel sad that um, I'm sort of bound up in all of the complexities of the work that I do. And I just don't have the time nor the inclination to uh, participate in the, in the education at the level that you guys do. Because um, there's a lot of stuff that I know and uh, every once in a while, I'll bring somebody on for a half a year as they're on their way to school just to get them trained up. But it's not really a program that I have developed, and it's certainly not something that I look forward to or enjoy doing. So you guys are amazing. Um, and keep it up and keep throwing it at the masses because clearly we all need it. So good job, guys. Well said. Yeah, thanks, Mike. And thanks, thanks for being here, Mike. I appreciate it. Peter, yeah. anything else? Nope. Do we lose Nothing her? Else. No, she's there. No, she no. just. I'm here. Oh, she's. Done. I'm just thinking. Peter, let let everybody know <laughs> no, where they where they can find you. 
Uh, they can find me at Defining Boundaries or go to petercox.com. Um, Surveyors Academy doesn't have a website yet, but petercox.com, you'll find me. Awesome. Very good. Well, again, thanks everybody for being here, taking the time out of your very busy schedules. Uh, greatly appreciated. Awesome, awesome content. Um, with that, Sean, anything else, buddy? Man, uh, anything I say is just wasted at this point. <laughs> oh, come on. Don't sell yourself so I, short. Okay, I can't compete with these He's guys. He's just an engineer. <laughs> just, a, just an engineer. I don't know anything <laughs> compared to these guys. engineers in our neck of the woods. You want to make some money, come up here. We got landslides, baby. Deal, deal. <laughs> Love it. All right. Uh, adding value and making friends. That's what we do here at the Geoholics. If anyone would like to be a guest on a future show or have any ideas for topics for future shows. We are, just, we are building the 2023 schedule are, as we speak. Yes, we are. Shoot us an email at info at thegeoholics.com. Um, also, we do have a Patreon. Look for the Geoholics on patreon.com. All new swag. Oh, yeah. Um, Buck Cherry lit up, yeah. available everywhere. Sean, yeah, pretty sure Sean's yeah, got yeah, the new T-shirt on. I'm wearing the new T-shirt. It's awesome. It fits great. I might actually wear it twice. There you go. Until it. next time, everyone, be safe and healthy. Thank you to our 2022 Friends of the Program, Advanced Geodetic Survey, AGSGPS.com, Airworks, airworks.io, Bad Elf, bad-elf.com, Cyanic Automation, getjobbook.com, Diamondback Land Surveying, diamondbacklandsurveying.com, Extreme Aerial Productions, extremearialproductions.com, Get Kids Into Survey, getkidsintosurvey.com, Mentoring Mondays, mentoringmondays.xyz, Monson Engineering, monsonengineering.com, Nettleman LC Prep, lcprep.com, North Star Surveying, NorthstarSurveying.com, ProStar Corporation, ProStarCorp.com, Safety Apparel, SafetyApparel.us, TopoDot, New.Certainty3D.com, and finally, Trimble Geospatial, geospatial.trimble.com.